This episode is brought to you by SoftLayer, an IBM company. If you're an entrepreneur, SoftLayer has created an incredible program just for you. It's called Catalyst. Catalyst offers amazing perks to you and your company, including credits to use their servers, mentorship, connections, and marketing support. To find out more, visit softlayer.com slash catalyst. Again, that's softlayer.com slash catalyst to find out more about this amazing program. This week, we wanted to dig into the skill sets that you need as a founder. We talked about everything from design, coachability, and the various personality strengths that make great founders. One of the more interesting discussions we've had. Also joining us is Josh Jones-Dilworth. First and foremost, he's an amazing entrepreneur with companies like The Daily Dot, Totem, and as an advisor to over a dozen companies, Josh's brain is full of awesome advice for the first-time founder. In this episode, we started talking about Austin and pretty quickly realized that this look at Austin's startup culture is more than a mere glance. It's a thesis, not only about building a thriving ecosystem, but the unique qualities that make Austin a hotbed for startups. You seriously cannot miss it. All this and more on this episode of Inside Outside. Running a startup is hard. Running one outside the valley is even harder. Inside Outside is a podcast for inside access to startups outside the valley. Each week, we'll bring you real insights, raw stories, and tactical advice from founders and startup teams around the country. Let's get started. Hey, everybody, and welcome to this episode of Inside Outside, your look into startups outside Silicon Valley. My name is Matt Boyd. I'm Brian Ardinger. I'm Paul Jarrett. How's it going this week? This is a big week. We got Startup Week happening in Lincoln. Yes, this will air after Startup Week, but so far it's been amazing. I like your Bang the Drum t-shirt. Thank you, yes. Um, True story, I have my Startup t-shirts in my bag because this room is so hot. (laughs) I sweat, so I save my good shirts for after this. There you go. It's like your workout. Also, I have like a Bob Barker mic right now. Well, you know, only the best for you, Paul. <laughs> I wish we had like uh, a video of me with this weird little mic holding it. Well, just wait just till Wednesday the microphone. night. We're going to have the live event at Vega, the live podcast. So oh. we'll see what we give you then. Will this air before that? No. Oh, man, that's worthless promotion. We're just burning <laughs> up airtime. <laughs> so this week we're talking about the startup toolkit. And, and, and it's not how you would think. So it's not the, the tools that you, you would use in a startup, but more like uh, your skill set as a startup founder. Uh, what skills do you need to be a founder and that kind of thing? Um, I think one of the skills that's often overlooked and, uh, but is extremely important is how to write. Absolutely. Uh, you know, I'm going to pull that one out. Wow. I, I, my father was an English professor, so it's yeah. near and dear to my heart. But um, I don't know how many emails and things that I get that are just poorly written. Yeah. Uh, they go on and on. They don't have any point. Everything around that. I think that's one of those skills that you've got to you've got to be able to write. What do you think? Uh, what do you think a poorly written email? Let's say you're trying to close a deal, or you're trying to you know uh, get the attention of a VC. Um, how do how do people perceive? I mean, it's crazy how uh, some people's pet peeves are like, <laughs> you know, using certain uh, you know apostrophes uh, in the wrong places and that kind of thing. I, I mean, it's super important these days, right? Yeah, I, I, yes. I mean, it obviously, depends on your t- customer type and that. I mean, if your um, major customers are seventeen year old teenage women, it's probably different how you would write versus uh, yeah. a B two B type of play. But I mean, I think writing to your audience is extremely important. Understanding what you want to say and how you want to communicate it is important. And it goes beyond writing, but I think that's one of the core things that oftentimes is overlooked or people just kind of 
don't really pay attention to it. Are we, are we talking like grammar or are we talking like creative writing? Like, I think, well, I mean, yes, grammar and that is important, spelling, all those kind of basic kind of checklist kind of stuff. But I think more it's like, what do you want to get across and using the, the tools and the medium um, effectively. So, for example, you know, I see way too so many emails like that are... So maybe like communication yeah, and writing. Communication and writing is, right. is, is critical from the standpoint of, you know, I see too many emails that are, you know, 17 paragraphs long, don't get yeah. to the point, go ramble yeah. 50 times, ask 10 questions of the person that you're sending the thing to versus saying, okay, here's the thing I need. Um, here's one question. Will you answer this? Boom. Go on. Um, those kind of things are from a writing skill gotcha. set are important. Yeah. Okay. If, if we were, I mean, you know, grammar and, and all that stuff is, I always think of that Ralph Wiggum, me fail English, improbable. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, w- I was like, what the, f- what are you talking about? But I, I, I guess I totally understand what you're saying of like getting the point across in communication. Um, kind of funny. Actually, this happened yesterday. There's a um, uh, entity that is trying to work with Blue Box, and there's a consultant and somebody else, like a CEO and whatever, and their emails are like four paragraphs long. And I'm reading them, and I'm oh. like, "What? What are they even saying?" Yeah. And I replied, and, "I replied yeah. back and said, like, basically, do you mean A or B?" And like each of my <laughs> A or Bs were like one sentence. And they came back with like another four paragraphs and I go, okay, so obviously this was a, and it was, it was, and somebody was CC'd on it and they ended up calling me and they were like, that is like unbelievable. The amount of time that these people are wasting, like just formulating and writing these emails. And I'm like, yeah, man, like they just need to get to the point of, you know, what, what, what are we all doing here right now? So, um, I completely agree with you. I feel like I see that a lot in just like marketing and advertising too. Yeah. Um, Blogging. When, when people, like yeah. yeah. When people start off, they're kind of like, you know, uh, trying to get everything across when really it's like one powerful line, like six words that they should be worried about, not yeah. all of that other stuff. So um, I have a question for you, Brian. You probably have the most experience with startup founders through in motion. Um, what are some of the other traits besides writing that you've seen that have, have, you know, kind of stood the test of time, right? Like that personality trait that you see in emotion that constantly gets people back. I think the other trait that uh, seems to stand out with the better founders are the ones that can sell. Uh, and having that sales kind of instinct and all of the developer skin is crawling right now. (laughs) But I mean, it comes back to, I I mean, writings or communicating and selling, I think are the core essential part of being a startup. I mean, at at the very beginning as a solo founder, you've got to sell your idea to your co-founder. Then you got to sell it to customers Then you got to sell to investors and on and on and on. And if you can't sell, if you can't get up there and tell your vision and tell your story and tell your dream, it's going to be a very difficult road for you to build that business out. Yeah, and when I think it's when it, when it comes down to actually selling the product, um, you know, I think it's important to have have a mind that is geared toward uh, creating a systematic approach because selling, you know, it's it's the type of thing where you it, it's almost linear where you kind of create a uh, an escalation process in the customer's mind. So having that optimization mind that you're gonna you're gonna you're gonna create a linear process. It's going to be uh, from point A to point B, and and then uh, being able to communicate that clearly, I think that all goes along with it. So not only just being able to communicate, but also just being able to optimize, and that also helps you uh, on the side of like UI and UX. It helps you on on tons and tons of different uh, objectives that you would have as a founder. I think I don't know. Maybe you guys can help me put a word to it, but um, 
the ability and, and, and I see people have to kind of shift roles where, you know, they're kind of being really creative and trying to figure out maybe a sales process, for example. Yeah. And um, they kind of formulate how to do this uh, sales process and, you know, it's scalable and it's great and whatever, but um, then it doesn't quite work out, you know, maybe like the, the, the price isn't there or, or something's off about it. And yeah. then having to admit that and yeah. kind of like yeah. start how do you over. Iterate? How do you start over? Yeah. So it's like, you have to go to like creative to having a process to, you know, having it down pat and then admitting, you know, that, oh crap, this thing is wrong. We need to restart it and doing that multiple times over. So it's kind of a combination of like creativity and discipline um, and maybe grit, yeah. right? It's almost yeah. like a learning mindset. You've got to yeah. be willing to... Coachability, that kind mm-hmm. of thing. Yeah, and, and, and you just see that those people that are, you know, the, the faster they can go through that process and go, oh, crap, like we, we got it wrong, but we learned X, Y, Z in this process. Okay, let's start the new iteration. Let's start mm-hmm. the new iteration. And, you know, even if, if those people can kind of learn like... I think in, in life in general and, you know, even in startups, like it's never over. Like you're just always iterating the product. And if you can find those people that deal with that, like those are really special people. We want to take a little break and remind you that this episode is brought to you by Softlayer, an IBM company. Hey, this is Rich Malloy from Softlayer, an IBM company. We're a big server company. We have a program for startups called Catalyst. where We give you credits to use our servers, offer you mentorship and connections. Every startup has to think about infrastructure. We sat down with Rich to hear his thoughts on the most common infrastructure mistakes that startups make and how to avoid them. I see a lot of startups making mistakes regarding infrastructure, and it doesn't matter what platform you're on. There's two things you absolutely must do when you're setting up your servers. Number one, firewall. Number two, backups. If you don't have a firewall, you're much more likely to get hacked. And guess what? If you get hacked, you are liable for the charges that go onto your account for that, no matter how many credits the company is giving you. When you get hacked, you're going to end up paying for those charges. So set up a firewall and protect yourself. Number two, backups. What happens if, if servers go down, if systems go down? It happens to everybody. We don't like it, that it you know, when it happens. But on the very rare occasion that your stuff goes down, if you have a backup, you're protected. If you don't have a backup, you could lose a lot of work. And now back to the show. So how, how much, um, on a different note, uh, regarding like technical skills and that kind of thing, mm-hmm. I, see, I see a lot of founders who aren't technical. Um, how much does a technical... Ding, 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 right here. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and, and the thing is, like, yeah, I see a lot of founders that aren't technical, but how, how much of a technical uh, skill set is important whenever you're starting a company? I think, and for me, um, I have varying degrees in technicality uh, depending on what it is. Um, so I, I'm just curious on what your guys take on that is. It depends, depends on what you're building and who you have around you to, to, to support that. I mean, any of these skills, not every single founder has to have every single one of these skills we're going to talk about, but they should know that these are prime skills that they have to somehow either compensate for or have in their own tool belt. Yeah. Um, you know, when I think about does a founder have to know how to code in that? no. Um, does it help to have a understanding of you know basic computer <laughs> technology and how it works and how a database works and things like that? Um, how to you know write simple HTML or at least look at a page of HTML and, and say okay here's what I think's going to happen that kind of stuff I think is important um, and then quite frankly you know all the tool sets 
out there from a technical perspective, whether it's social media or others, are getting easier and easier for the, the layman, so to speak, to be able to use. But I think it's important to have a foundation of technicality to what you're building. Yeah, I mean, I think it, it just comes down to the ability to communicate uh, to a wide swath of people within your company. A swath of word. Uh, to, a, to a wide group of people within your company, uh, just to be able to communicate basic principles, I think it's pretty key. I think it's a beautiful moment when founders discover their own strengths and their other co-founder strengths. And you know, when people have a true respect for what they do, whether it is you know technical skills or or whether it is the ability to sell or um, the ability to kind of you know project manage or marketing or whatever it is. And I think all too many times, especially with um, you know with like low. I don't know if maturity or business acumen is the word, but when, when, you know, you kind of see people that don't appreciate, um, you know, a good developer or you don't see people that appreciate a good salesperson. Um, and that, 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 that's painful to watch sometimes, right? Because you want to like kind of fast forward that group like five years and say, no, like these are exactly the personality and the skill sets you need. So um, I always enjoy seeing people coming out of programs like in motion or whatever it is and um, them developing uh, an honest to goodness appreciation for other skill sets beyond their own. I think that's really special. And maybe whatever that is, is like the most well, important think, skill set, right? I think one of those skills is knowing how to ask for help and reach out um, and having that gumption basically to say, hey, I don't know everything about what I need to know. Who can I find mentor-wise or otherwise? And and I think that's a skill set. You know, it's almost learned sometimes, it's, especially for young founders who think they have it all figured out. They want to go and, and keep moving along. Um, you know, being able to reach out and say, hey, I don't know everything's going on. Let me find a mentor. Let me ask for help. Well, and, skill set. And, and you know, it's uh, so just the asking asking for help not only uh, shows humility to the the community that you're in, but also uh, opens your opens up your capacity to learn as a founder. You're just going to learn more the more people that you're you're discussing with and you're asking questions to. So I think that um, it, it's not the byproduct of all of of just. Uh, looking like you're humble but it's like your actual ability to learn Mm -hmm. so if you if you if you're not coachable and 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 you're you know everything uh then you're just not gonna learn anything (laughs) you already know everything right so yeah i I remember reading a study by kaufman and i think i've said this before on the podcast but the two strengths or skill traits that they identified as the um, most important were risk and grit. Mm-hmm. And I think over time, I mean, now we've, let's see, over three years kind of at our company, like that is most definitely the the two skill sets that especially kind of the people that were there since day one, um, those are the two most important skill sets um, that we've seen because it's, it's hard at times, mm-hmm. you know? And um, those those people that are able to continue with that grit to push through but then see opportunities and you know they're willing to risk things um i i I can't agree more with that but i remember when i first read it i was like i I didn't necessarily agree with those that um um, i didn't agree with this study that was correct (laughs) um but over time it, it holds true so i don't know how you kind of test for that or how you ask questions for that but i think you know if i was starting a company now i would definitely formulate like questions or um some sort of a interview process to find out those two things and if that person has it so um Let's talk about the hacker hustler uh, designer mentality. 
and hacker, hacker hipster, hustler, hipster, hipster hip, the ha- three H's ha- hacker. Hapa, hapa, hapa. So the way I've always heard it is hacker, hustler, designer, right? Hipster, hacker, <laughs> hustler, hipster. They, I guess it's yeah, the three triple H, right? The wrestler. Um, so what skills are involved in each one of those? So hacker, obviously uh, it's somebody who owns the core technology of your company uh, mm-hmm. or it's, you know, you and you're programming the Ruby on rails, you're programming, you know, the Ruby on Rails. We're in Nebraska, Matt. How dare you? <laughs> <laughs> um, you know what I mean. So it's like that that kind of mentality. Um, so what are the other? So uh, hustler. The hustler is the most ambiguous one, right? Yeah, I mean, we talked a little bit about that. You've got to be able to, I think, write and communicate. You've got to be able to sell. Um, you've got to be, and this probably goes to any of the disciplines, but uh, delegate. I think that's one of the skills early yeah. on, especially as a, a early founder. You're oftentimes doing everything yourself. And it's sometimes hard once you get that second or third or fourth person in. It's like, yeah, but I've been doing this the whole time and, and I'm better at it. So why should I delegate this to you? And, and getting into that skill set and, and having that skill is important. The skill set for the hipster, obviously they have to, I mean, design is the core. Photoshop, so, um, UX, that kind of thing, right? Being able to user test and understand what that process is about, things along those problem, lines. Like deep problem solving. Um, the Do they have to wear black room glasses? I think that's a prerequisite. At least on Tuesdays. <laughs> gotcha. uh, but you know, you know, one skill set for the, the the designer or the hipster or whatever you want to call it is the ability to communicate back to the uh, to the technical team or to the hacker. Yeah, um, that's a really good point. Yeah, I mean, it's I think it's absolutely key because you have to you have to not only conceive of UI, but you have to think about how it works and how you know uh, why is this being shown? You know what? So. You may not know the technical reasons of or the technical, you know, things that go behind the scenes, but you have to know how to communicate exactly how this thing's going to work. And they have to have a very clear understanding of it. So that's a pretty big one. Yeah, I think kind of um, one other hidden thing in the, you know, the hacks, the hacker, hipster and hustler is that's kind of talking about um, skill sets. And the whole kind of a big key to this puzzle is personality traits, right? Mm-hmm. And I think that's something that a lot of people never talk about. Yeah, um, They're so focused on skill sets and what you have. Well, remember, in the midst of this whole thing, you need to get along with those people, right? And, you know, when you're in the trenches and, you know, the bullets are flying and people are dying, like you want to look over and know that that's the person that you want next to you, you know? And, and I think that's something that all too many times um, people overlook and, and um, yeah, there's personality traits and our personality tests and, and that sort of thing that can help you along with that. But um, along right with skill sets, I think it's important to understand other people's personality this and why to, they do what they do. This seems to be a whole episode, personality traits. That's a good one. Yeah. Yeah. It's important, man. I, I didn't even, you know, when we started our company, we didn't really understand it until, you know, I was kind of like, why, why did that, why is this person doing what they're doing and kind of taking some of those tests help understand. And, and really, uh, interestingly enough, what came out of it was actually understanding myself, right? right? So in the process of trying to understand my skills and how I fit, I actually started to understand my personality and mm-hmm. you know um, how people view working with me, which is nothing but spectacular. <laughs> <laughs> for, for regarding uh, personalities and the, and the um, hustler mentality, I think that adaptability is a key because as a hus- as a hustler, that's the word I was, probably, I was kind of trying to think of earlier. Yeah, I mean, it's, yeah, flexible. Yeah, yeah. You, you have to be able to, to kind of go between uh, multiple different initiatives and test things and try things. If that doesn't work, you kind of you, you know be able to try something else. And then 
uh, once you're there, you have to be able to, if it actually works, lay down a, uh, a precedent for what this looks like in the company right. and how, how we're going to implement this as a system mm-hmm. uh, and then be able to move on from there, put you know people in place to kind of you know uh, do that system and execute on that system and move on. So adaptability is, I, yeah. I think, the biggest thing for the, the hustler. Interesting. Interesting. Have you guys taken the uh, entrepreneurial strengths finders for the Gallup test? I'm not taking, they've just revised it, so I've not taken the new one. To yeah, I haven't, take, I haven't taken the new one. What's it called? EP10? EP10 or something? Yeah. yeah. They they revised it. Yeah, they they changed it a little bit. So if you go back in, you, I don't think you have to take the test again. But the way they either score it or showcase your key traits gotcha. is slightly different. But yeah, I'm not an expert. Interesting, because I was about to say I thought it was crap. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know yet. Maybe that's why they revised. So it. <laughs> they revised it. Good, good. I was yeah. like, this thing told me nothing. <laughs> so, uh, so regarding this conversation, uh, what's a what's a summary for a few skill sets that that people should have whenever they're starting a company? Yeah, I mean, I, I, again, I think this is probably skill sets you need as a team. But obviously, if you can have as many of these particular skills, uh, it's important. You know, we talked about communicating, we talked about delegating, things like that. I think one of the kind of at the core, you know, you have to inspire your people and you have to inspire your customers, you inspire the the investors and that around you. So that you know, being able to communicate that vision. Uh, talk about that vision and then execute on that vision is what the core characteristics I think are important to for any startup trying to move forward. Yeah, I'll go back to uh, you know what I've said before, but risk and grit um, I think are two really important skill sets. But also um, don't forget uh, personalities. You know, kind of um, understanding that in the mix and in the midst of understanding skills and what yours are, what everybody else's. Don't leave out personality traits out of that equation. Yeah, I think I think coachability uh, is huge on the list. If if you're not able to learn, if you're not able to expand your skill set, um, then you're gonna have Amen. a really you're gonna have a really tough time in starting a company because you know a company you're gonna be thrust into tons and tons of situations that you're not gonna know the answer. And if if you don't take advice from people who have been through those trenches, then you're gonna you're gonna die as a company. I mean, it's not just not gonna work. So. If you're starting your first company, let me save you a whole bunch of time. You have no idea what you're doing right now. <laughs> Seriously, I would say that about us and everybody that I know that started a company like about a year in, they're like, I have, I had no idea what I was doing, which is not a bad thing. Well, there you go. That's the word from Paul Jarrett. (laughs) You know, Austin is now, I keep saying it's unknowable. It's big enough and there's enough going on that I I just can't possibly, it's more than fits in one human's brain. This is Josh Jones Dilworth amazing entrepreneur and staple in the Austin startup ecosystem. In this discussion, it really becomes a lesson in economic development and how communities everywhere can benefit from the really cool and quirky things happening in Austin. My name is Josh Jones-Dilworth. I am um, CEO of a boutique consultancy based in Austin, Texas called JDI. And we bring um, emerging technologies to market for the first time. That means... We're basically an outsourced marketing department um, doing an array of different things for startups, certainly, but also a few big companies that have spinouts. And our work, um, a lot of it is in California, a lot of it is in the Midwest, and a lot of it is in Texas. So I want to I talk about Texas. We're, we're actually doing a piece on um, various startup ecosystems, and Austin is a really good place to kind of start. Um, so t- tell me... Tell me what it's like, you know, living and building a company in Austin. It's really interesting for me, particularly, I think, because I grew up in Baltimore, which in so many ways 
you know, at that time was a city in decay and Austin is a city that's growing so quickly and anyone who's listening must have seen Austin appearing at the top of various charts, um, best cities to live, best cities for economic growth, best cities to find a job, best city for creative, most green city, you know, all of those kinds of things. And, um, that's been exhilarating. Yeah. Austin's undergoing a lot of change. Austin in a way is a startup itself that's in a growth stage. And so, um, it's very interesting to, to, to live and build in a, in, in an environment that itself is growing at a same or even faster pace than you yourself would want to. Right. And so there's a lot of change. I think 80% of it is good, good change. Um, and the stuff that's not so good, um, we're figuring out how to cope with and how to even fix. I just think that Austin got caught off guard a little bit by, just how many people have moved here and how much capital has been diverted in our direction, right? Good problems to have, but I think in terms of infrastructure and income inequality and um, health and human services and a bunch of other things that are essential to maintain the quality of living we have such a good reputation for, um, we're, we're playing catch up a little bit. Are there any verticals uh, that Austin is kind of known for or is it you know, more general. Austin is traditionally um, a chip town and a hardware town, like big hardware. It's traditionally an enterprise, um, hardcore enterprise software town. And that's back end, it's middleware. More recently, it's SaaS. Um, and Austin is traditionally um, a supercomputing town. Um, Austin is traditionally a gaming town and Austin is traditionally, um, a film town. And I think in general, we still play to all of those strengths. And sometimes we have a love hate relationship with those strengths because we want to break out of them. We want to do more green and clean. We want to do more, um, transportation. There's a lot of people focusing on, interesting new financial models here on manufacturing, on space, on design, on um, CPG. So there's definitely pockets of um, counterculture in that sense. And I think everyone aspires to be totally diversified in five years um, and we're getting there. But I think, yeah, what Austin is known for, we're known for, for a reason and those historic strengths continue to be strengths. And I think big picture, that's a really good thing. What are, what are a few startups that are just kind of hot right now in Austin? Good question. Um, I will selfishly plug the daily dot, which is very hot. Um, I'm a co-founder. Um, the daily dot is a newspaper about the internet. We have, you know, the only Reddit beat reporter in the country, the only anonymous beat reporter in the country, the only YouTube beat reporter in the country, and they file stories from those web communities about what's going on. And um, we've got about 70 employees, raised $20 million. 
Um, and it got 20 million uniques a month and it's going really, really well. So the daily dots doing great. There's a company in town called Umble, um, U M B E L, which is just going bonkers. They're having a really exciting time. They're kind of like Nielsen 2.0, like the way that you used to gather audience and customer data was by, you know, um, paying people and, you know, gathering data on a very small, um, sample size and extrapolating from there. And, you know, today, almost everyone who has a list or a user base or an audience has considerably more data. And so, um, if you have an audience, Humble can really do some smart stuff, um, to that data and, um, they're doing extraordinarily well. Um, what else in Austin? Um, I'd say actually what's really interesting is that Capital Factory, which is the traditionally sort of the incubator co-working accelerator here in town, the center of gravity for Austin's entrepreneurial ecosystem, as they say, um, is really growing and um, growing their ambition beyond just being an accelerator. They've taken over multiple floors. I think they're exploring new locations. They have a pretty big fund now um, and they're doing a lot more classes and, you know, they're really, I think that the capital factory it was very interesting like it, it may turn out in the end that capital factory ends up being a bigger victory um, both in terms of size and reach and enterprise valuation than any of the companies um, it spun out um, what else WP engine has a really good reputation they do um, WordPress hosting um, plus a bunch of value-added services on top of that um, they're growing like a weed and you know they seem really happy um, actually, I ran into the founder of um, WP Engine called Jason Cohen a couple of weeks ago. And, oh, my gosh, he said the funniest thing. You know, he said, I said, Jason, you know, he and I used to see each other often and they're just growing so quickly. Um, it's very rare now. And um, I said, Jason, how are you doing? He says, well, you know, Josh, um, you know, those good problems to have. I was like, yeah, everyone always talks about those. He goes, I have those now and they fucking suck. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, I think that's like. That's definitely true for sure. There's a new VC in town called um, Build Group that's very exciting. Um, they're focusing mostly on growth rounds like Series B and after, which is a major gap in Austin, and I hope that they will be an accelerant um, for quite some time. Um, Build Group is three of the um, Rackspace, Rackspace execs, including um, Lanham Napier, who was the, the CEO and worked at Rackspace for 18 years. And so they quit Rackspace a while back and um, have raised to fund and that's really really exciting a lot of people in Austin are also really excited about the there's it's kind of hard to imagine but um, there's a new um, Seton teaching hospital and a University of Texas medical school um, neither of which we had before so you would think Austin okay cool it's pretty well rounded and the fact that we haven't had a medical school and a teaching hospital um, has been like you know one of our biggest weaknesses and so Michael Dell gave a bunch of money Seton raised a bunch of money UT is like making a huge commitment and so we're building like our version of Stanford or UCSF um, here in Austin for the first time from a blank slate and so I think the commercialization function of that um, is really exciting because so much of academic tech transfer and incubation is broken. It's an area I know a lot about and so I think they're, they're so far making a lot of very smart decisions about how to ensure that the IP generated by all 
of these superstar faculty they've recruited um, has a chance of seeing the light of day and has an infrastructure around it to support that kind of activity and moreover make it cool, you know? And so um, that's a big thing that's under, I mean, it's, it's, it's happening right now. And I think a lot of people are excited about that um, in Austin as well. So what are, what are some things that, you know, somebody could do to just kind of get connected into the Austin scene? Are there people that they, that you would recommend they meet that kind of thing? I do think that in general, um, hanging out at Capital Factory is a really good idea. It's a good place to start. It really, it is the center of gravity. Um, I'll say two things further. One, the thing that I still love about Austin, and I, I really hope we don't lose this, is it's still a town where anyone will get coffee with you even like really badass CEOs that sort of like have no good reason to. And I think that's just sort of part of the pay it forward ethos from when we were smaller and like you really needed help. And if we weren't tightly banded together, it just wasn't going to happen, you know? And, um, I think like there's, yeah, there's sort of like a social debt that is like, very well heated here that I really like. And so I always do encourage people to, um, to just like say hi and reach out. It's not the kind of town yet where you have to get an introduction or get in someone's schedule and it's all complex and convoluted and people are, you know, measuring each other's and deciding whether or not they have time. And it's all this kind of politics and bullshit. Like, um, it's still really, really good. And so, um, I gosh, I, I mean, I guess on some level, eventually that's going to have to change. Um, you know, Austin is now, I keep saying it's unknowable. It's big enough and there's enough going on that I, I just can't possibly, it's more than fits in one human's brain, you know? And that didn't used to be the case. Like I used to know everything that was going on, who was doing what, the gossip, the moves, the like deals. And now it's just inherently unknowable. So I think, I think that's a really great trend, but we've got to like work kind of hard to preserve, um, yeah, the intimacy of it all. Right. I think, um, I think the other thing that I would say is that, um, there's an event called creative mornings that happens, um, very early, usually on Fridays. That's quite extraordinary. And I, the reason I bring it up is, um, that there's such a huge part of Austin that isn't just, tech guys and gals it's creative people like austin is really a home for the creative class it's the number of filmmakers and designers illustrators sculptors visual artists photographers that are here is truly extraordinary and i just don't think that anyone will get a holistic view onto austin purely by going to startup and I think that um, one of the ways that we can continue to be so successful is by um, taking advantage of that stuff. And I know that in my experience, anyway, that's very true in Lincoln, which is something that people don't talk about very much. It's an incredible place for creatives. And I think there are very few um, places on earth where the creative class is as strong. Amsterdam is another one for me um, that where the, the creative community there is just out of this world. And so to me, anyone who's coming to Austin isn't engaging with that side of our strength. Um, yeah, as we out. So how do you think uh, South by Southwest has altered the ecosystem either for the better or for the worse? Wow. Yeah. Great question. I mean, I think it's like almost exclusively for the better um, insofar as um, it got a 
shitload of people over the years to come here just once, just to visit. And um, you and I were talking before the podcast started about Drive Capital, um, which is a client of my firm's in Columbus. And um, for any listeners who haven't been to Columbus, if you go to Columbus right now, I, I think you you can't help but be attracted. It's a, it's a really special place right now. And yet, like when I say that aloud to someone, they say, oh, that's nice. That's cute. I'm glad you're advocating for Columbus. I've heard great things about Columbus. Groovy. And yet when you actually show up on the ground and experience things firsthand, I think you have that kind of mind expanding moment. And I think most people um, have always heard good things about Austin. Austin has good word of mouth and good PR. But unless you really have cause to show up here, you don't have the kind of transformational experience where the flip is truly switched for you and you go from being someone who's curious to someone who is going to make Austin a part of their life one way or the other. And I think that's what South by managed to do, which was to get people to cycle through and to see it and to appreciate it, you know? And of course, like the South by Southwest version of Austin is an inauthentic version of Austin, right? It's kind of like half Disney world and, you know, half burning man and half geek summer camp and half a big brand convention these days. And so you're not getting, you're not getting the real deal, but I do think you're getting it in doses. And so, yeah, like most of my friends and family who have ever come to visit here want to move here after they come. It's just kind of, it's got a unique combination of value props. And so that's probably really number one. I think also like South by Southwest is cool. So like, um, it's just sort of made Austin cool. Like so many of our clients are not based in Austin and in Texas. And I want there to be more and more and more, but we do a lot of work, um, in the Valley. We do a lot of work in the Midwest. We don't do much work on the East coast, although some, we do a lot of work internationally and, I always thought that I would need to have a San Francisco office or a New York office or, you know, whatever. And I actually hired people even in those cities intending to do just that. And they, they all moved to Austin. And, you know, when I, especially when I'm meeting with a company in San Francisco, um, you know, I no longer get the question, well, you're in Austin, so how can we have a productive collaboration? They're like, oh my God, it's cool you're in Austin, right? And um, you're sort of contrary and you're Texan and you're outside the classic bubble think. And, you know, like Austin, I think South by Southwest is a big part of that where it become, it's become like cool and authentic and even like a positive thing to be in Austin um, and a really respected choice, right? And I think that's also sort of helped flip um, the perception of venture capitalists who, I mean, if you look at um, successful startups here in town at every stage, not just in the growth stages, um, they have raised money from investors all over. And while I do think pretty highly of the local investors here, it is no longer the case that um, the local investors are the only place to go or the only place to start. And that a lack of local investment prevents a signal, presents a signaling problem in any way. So I think Austin being cool um, has kept money um, elsewhere interested and, you know, it's kind of cool and interesting. 
Um, something else I think is really good about Austin that I think um, has actually helped, you know, the South by Southwest has also helped is while a lot of people complain about how South by Southwest has become kind of like a big company event. And as the dollars and the suits have flooded in, um, the sort of countercultural thing that South by Southwest used to represent has ebbed. And while that's true, I think that um, South by Southwest has become in a way also like a great way and a great place for younger companies to conduct business development and corporate development with those larger companies. And I think a lot of that is rubbed off here in Austin too. So like a one strength of Austin's that I think don't people don't talk about very often is that the bigger companies here um, think that it is cool and useful and interesting to partner with or conduct pilots alongside startups. And so the, I think that's like an important part of any successful ecosystem where the, yeah, the young companies and the big companies are going to collaborate with relative ease. And furthermore, culturally, it's not just okay, but it's actually advantageous and cool to do that. And so um, I think that a lot of companies here in Austin um, find the larger um, anchor points of the local ecosystem to be friendly and welcoming um, to pitches from startups to collaborate on various fronts. And I think, I don't think that's all directly attributable to South by Southwest, but I think um, one of South by Southwest's strengths these days is that it collides big business and small business together. And it's not always elegant, but I think, I think that's like a good, a good thing for everybody. Right. So let's switch gears a little bit. Um, so your company works heavily kind of in the P, in the PR space and, and things like that. So what are some tactical you know things startups can do to just kind of get some attention from the press? Yeah, great question. Um, I think that a lot of people come in the front door to us with a line item and a budget number fixed to it and it says, get me in the New York Times, right? Get me in TechCrunch. And um, I always say that's totally doable. Um, let's talk about about how to get in there. And I think that, um, I think that the number one thing that people don't understand is, um, that let's take the example of TechCrunch. Like, um, a TechCrunch article is not a TechCrunch article is not a TechCrunch article. They're all quite different in terms of the writer, the length, the type of article that it is, is it an explainer? Is it an analysis piece? Is it a, an endorsement or a review? Um, what's the goal? And I think actually like a lot of startups don't actually read um, news. And so they, they just sort of want this like checkbox, right? Because they know that they're supposed to get it and that it will be part of their branding and potentially their user acquisition or lead generation strategy. They understand that it will throw off interesting inbound from, you know, partners and um, from developers and from investors. But like um, they haven't actually, they don't actually read the magazine or the publications um, about their industry. And certainly PR people do because it's our job. But I think that the startups we meet who um, speak best to the press and are most well-liked by the press and use language and vocabulary that resonates with the press and, um, you know, kind of 
end up at the top of a given journalist's Rolodex because they are useful and interesting to interact with and are someone that journalist intends to use for multiple stories down the road, um, those, those executives they read this stuff and they like it and they enjoy it and it's part of their life, right? So I think like um, you, you should actually read about your industry <laughs> and I understand that you can spend all day reading about your industry and you know distract yourself with competitors and jealousy and everything else. But I think, um, I think that's number one. Well, there you have it. Another episode in the can. We really appreciate Josh Jones Dilworth for taking time to chat with us this week. Feel free to give Josh a shout out on Twitter and let him know how much you enjoyed his interview. If you have a question for us, you can always reach out on Twitter at the IO podcast. Also, one thing that would help us greatly is jumping on our iTunes page and leaving a review. And if you haven't subscribed, you can do that as well. Until next time, go build something big.